This is Berkeley Voices. I'm Ann Bryce. At sunset yesterday, on March 22nd, marked the start of Ramadan, the ninth and holiest month of the Islamic calendar. For Ali Bati, a PhD candidate in science and math education at UC Berkeley, it's a time to feel closer to God, to break habits, and to remember what he's thankful for. In this episode, Ali describes in his own words what Ramadan means to him. He also talks about how 9-11 shaped his childhood in New Jersey, finding his Muslim community at Berkeley, and how Islam has helped him through the deepest loss of his life. Part 1. Fasting for Ramadan Really, one of the, the biggest expressions of being a Muslim, the physical expressions, uh, is, is fasting, is, is participating in the month of Ramadan. So this is a month that has obligatory fasting within it. So from about sunrise to sunset, you're not eating and you're not drinking, um, no water either. It's one of the pillars of Islam, one of the pillars of the religion. So there are five pillars. This is one of those five pillars. Uh, and this is a pillar that uh, everyone who is, um, you know, healthy enough to do and who is able enough to do um, is required to do um, for the 30 days that, that are within Ramadan. So um, fasting is uh, a physical, I, I, this is how I've always viewed it. It's a physical representation of a very spiritual process that you're trying to go through. And connecting the physical and the spiritual is not easy. Oftentimes, it will just be a feeling of, I'm very hungry, I'm very thirsty. But spiritually, I think there's a lot more going on, and that's something that I'm personally on a journey of trying to reach. So within the Quran, there's a specific verse that states that fasting fasting has been prescribed for you. And to me, I start reflecting on that, of like, why was it prescribed? Ultimately, the prescription is to to be more God conscious, uh, to be more conscious of God, because you try your best to to think about God more during this month than any other time of the year. Think about your blessings. Think about the things that you know you have, things that uh, you know are a part of your life, the people and things like that. So the God consciousness starts to build up more and more. And one of my own personal habits is like instead of when I feel like I'm hungry or thirsty, try to think like okay flip that and be like okay what am I thankful for right now you know I'm really thankful for the fact that you know I'm here at Berkeley or uh, you know I'm in a home or things like that try to flip those moments of hunger try to flip those moments of uh, you know uh, thirst into a moment of consciousness of awareness of something you've been blessed with or something that you have so that ends up being a personal practice of mine Part 2. Growing up Muslim in New Jersey after 9-11. I was actually born in Pakistan. So I was born in a town, city called Gujrawala, Pakistan. And I came here when I was a young kid. I was two, three years old. I came here uh, with my parents, my mom and dad, and we moved to New Jersey. And I stayed there up until graduate school, which which was 2019. I grew up uh, uh, about, you know, five miles away from 9-11, where 9-11 happened. Uh, and to grow up in the tri-state area as a Muslim, a practicing Muslim, somebody with a Muslim name, 
um, it was, it was, there was a lot to, to do with that. Like there was just a lot to sort of go through in that process. And like, you know, it's, it's normal to go through like some sort of, you know, uh, growing periods of like bullying and things like that. But it was very tough to be in a situation where, uh, you know, something that I hold so deep and true to me, which is my faith and what I practice um, for that to be sort of front and center as like, I am the Muslim kid in the class. I am, you know, always the Muslim kid and the only Muslim kid in class that ended up being like sort of a, a front and center thing that propagated throughout my education. And it really just kind of put me in a space where I just understood this idea of other, being othered or, or feeling like I don't belong. The biggest things that end up coming to my mind are, you know, just some of the bullying, some of the jokes, uh, you know, you hear a watch beep, someone's going to say, oh, you know, is that a bomb, you know, that you planted or something or something doesn't go your way. Someone will say something like, oh, are you going to blow the school up now? Right. Or like, how's like, uh, you know, when Osama bin Laden was, was killed, you know, oh, you know, sorry for your loss. As a kid, you just try to be like, uh, you know, you laugh with them uh, rather than saying like, you know, don't don't make fun of me. You kind of just try to be cool about it, if you will. Uh, but eventually, at some point, you know, you do want to take a stand and you and you want to, you know, make clear that this is not something that you're you're for or not something right to say. And I think really it just came down to just being proactive about that, just like presenting myself and the things that I do and the the, the way that I act in a way where you know, hopefully someone would feel bad about making fun of me in that way. The discussions at home were really just all about recognize the fact that no matter what anyone says, right, you know, you are who you are. Uh, and that is supported by the, the faith that you practice. And so to see that perspective of use this as an opportunity to better yourself and better the people around you and, and you know, just to be a better Muslim, right? As much as it was a pressure to feel like an example, um, to me, it was a motivator, you know, partying or, or drinking or anything like that. Those things, as normal as they seemed or, you know, as sort of uh, rite of passage as they were, those weren't part of my, you know, uh, growing up, uh, growing up, that wasn't part of who I was. And if anything, it was just something to really hold me and ground me in a way where I saw it as like, okay, I am unique in this, in this aspect of growing up as a, as a teenager in America, you know, Friday is generally, you know, like a day to go out party, but for us, it's actually our holiest day. It's the day we go to the mosque and we, we have Friday prayers and we, we listen to a sermon. That's kind of the juxtaposition that ended up being a big part of my head of like, okay, I, I can see this as a, you know, uh, as a characteristic of mine that differentiates me in a positive light, in a way that is unique. And, and I really started to take that on. Part three, five daily prayers. So there's five daily prayers within Islam. And one thing I'll, I'll tell you is that this is something that I've grown to do more of. Um, during my high school time, um, I didn't pray during the day. I would kind of just make up those prayers when I came home and that's, that's allowed. It's acceptable, but for the most part, it's preferred to pray them at the correct times because those five daily prayers happen at five specific times and you have sort of windows to pray them. The first prayer is before sunrise. Um, in this first one, the first prayer, it's called Fajr, F-A-J-R. 
um, there's a specific call that says prayer is better than sleep. Prayer is better than sleep. Then there are two prayers during the sunlight hours, pretty much an early afternoon prayer and a late afternoon prayer. Those are the ones that if I'm on campus, usually I'll probably have to like find a room to pray in. Um, and then there's a, a sunset prayer. And then the last one is a night prayer. Night prayer happens uh, a little bit like hour or two after sunset. Usually ultimately the whole point is to just, again, have a remembrance of God during the day and throughout the day in these moments. And really what ended up happening was once I came to, to Berkeley and kind of just was on my own, uh, I felt like this would be something that would help me, again, ground myself in something that I'm familiar with, but also something that brings me a sense of calm, a sense of spirituality, a sense of peace. One of the things that's difficult is um, we're uh, praying in the Arabic language and most Muslims don't speak Arabic, actually. They don't uh, understand. They don't have a vocabulary that is in Arabic. As a Pakistani, I speak Urdu. That's our native language. Um, it's not Arabic, but we have to memorize in Arabic. We have to learn how to read Arabic. We have to learn how to recite Arabic. We don't necessarily have to learn how to sort of translate that into our language, unless you're an Arab from an Arab country. But this is, again, one of the things that is something that I'm trying to work on. A lot of Muslims try to work on is to understand the Arabic that they're speaking and, and praying in. So every prayer has um, the opening chapter. It's called Fatiha. It's the opening chapter of the Quran. Every prayer requires that. It's part of the requirement of a prayer. And then after that, you can sort of choose verses that resonate with you or verses that are on your mind or verses you're trying to memorize, things like that. But every Muslim has this Fatiha, this opening memorized. Um, so I'll recite it here. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalameen. Arrahmanirrahim. Maliki yawmiddin. Iyaka na'abudu wa iyaka nasta'een. Ihdina sirat al-mustaqeem. Sirat al-lazina an'amta alayhim. غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين Part 4 Profound Loss and How He Moved Through It My faith is the reason um, I got through the most difficult part of my life. My mom passed away my first year of graduate school. Um, unexpectedly, tragically, she passed away, and I didn't think I could continue with graduate school. Like I didn't think it was possible to be that far, far away from home, all the way in New Jersey. My dad was alone. Uh, my sisters also you know, live in different areas. I didn't think it was possible to continue, um, and that was very, very difficult. It was, it was undeniably the hardest moment of my life, just because of the instant nature and the tragic nature of it. And the only reason I got through that, the way that I did, and the only reason I'm, I, I feel like I'm here today in the mode that I'm in is because of my faith and because of my family and the support system that I have here at Berkeley, including my advisors. Uh, this is a big part of what I think makes me proud to be a Muslim, is the fact that I can rely on something so strong, so foundational in me, that it can get me through the, the difficulty, the pain, the the real anguish of losing your mom unexpectedly while being a graduate student, 
um, away from her. Uh, and that was just very, very hard to do. But, you know, uh, like we say, as, as Muslims, we like to say, Alhamdulillah, we say, you know, all praises be to God um, for good and for bad, um, for whatever you're going through, uh, to, to view it in a light of this is something that is, you know, uh, a, a test on, on you and, and your faith and your well-being and, and who you are as a person. And to to have Islam as my faith and to be a practicing Muslim and to be able to use that as a as a means of not just coping, but growing from the most difficult part of my life has been huge. Part five, Muslim at Berkeley. As a graduate student here at Berkeley, I really want to see people like me and people who are, are practicing Muslims like me um, in spaces that are like academia. For example, um, just mainly because there's, especially within the world of like where, where I study, like in the sciences, there's often this tension between science and religion, you know. But what's weird for me is that religion and, and the study of science specifically uh, reaffirmed my religious faith. UC Berkeley and Berkeley as a whole has a strong Muslim community, which is great because there's, there's a mosque in Berkeley. Uh, and that mosque, you know, has daily um, night prayers, as they're called, um, during Ramadan. It, it's, been, it's been really, really amazing as a Berkeley student mainly because of the fact that um, I've been in the same house that I've, that I've lived in since I came here, since 2019. We're all Muslim graduate students in this house. Um, so we have this opportunity to sort of go through this event, this month together and, and pray together and fast together during this month. So there's a sense of immediate camaraderie, immediate sort of brotherhood, if you will, um, in the house itself, which I, I think has been a huge impact in my success or feeling of you know, uh, spirituality during this month, um, there's a different feeling. There's a, there's a whole different sort of atmosphere that ends up coming within the house, within yourself, within the people that are practicing around you during this month. And it's really, really special. Ali Bati is a PhD candidate in science and math education at UC Berkeley. I'm Anne Bryce, and this is Berkeley Voices, a Berkeley news podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs at UC Berkeley. If you enjoy Berkeley Voices, tell a friend about us. It really helps get the word out. And you can follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We also have another show called Berkeley Talks, which features lectures and conversations at Berkeley. You can find all of our podcast episodes with transcripts and photos on Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts. 